Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, Pope Francis gave a speech to 183 countries' ambassadors that revealed some of the Pope's top international priorities. And this weekend, he baptized 16 babies. So in this episode, we'll take you from Korea to cradle. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a very cold Rome. Colleen, we're expecting perhaps snowfall tomorrow. Whoa, that is cold. It doesn't snow much in Rome. No, we, uh, I think more than 10, 15 years back was the last time. We're also at a situation in, with the pandemic where I said last week, one in 50 people in the country mm-hmm. are affected by it. And now it's we're at one in 30 oh, people Lord. in the country. Yeah, we're having a big spike here, too. And actually, that's why I was out last week was that I came down with COVID after the holidays. So I'm really glad to be back with you, Jerry. It's good to hear your voice. Happy New Year. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you've recovered, Colleen. The Pope typically celebrates baptisms for the children of Vatican employees after Christmas in the Sistine Chapel. Pope Francis managed to resume this custom in 2022, baptizing 16 babies. So Jerry, this weekend was the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. So if you were at Mass this weekend, you would have heard the story of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And Pope Francis celebrated by baptizing 16 children in the Sistine Chapel. And Jerry, we know that the Pope is a pastor, but we usually see him meeting with, you know, high profile people, heads of state, cardinals. Is is this kind of, you know, parish priest type activity, the kind of thing that the Pope does often? Well, he does it every year, except last year, which wasn't possible, every year on this feast. And he also does it sometimes during the year. He, he likes being pastor, a parish priest, if you wish. You can see he's full of joy. He's really at his most relaxed and happiest when he's actually carrying out the work that a normal priest might do in a parish. And his parish was, of course, all the employees in the Vatican City, they're part of his parish. The city of Rome is another part. But these 16 children were from the children of Vatican employees. And it sounds like Pope Francis really got to lean into kind of being a pastor. You were telling me about this, and it sounds like he he handled it really well for even just a parish priest doing baptisms, right? He kept it pretty snappy and uh, and said it was okay if the kids cry. Yes, he advised the parents. He said if the children begin feeling uncomfortable because they were dressed, of course, and with all these clothes, especially for the baptism, 
he said, take off some of the clothes. And because if one starts crying, then we have a concert. <laughs> they all join in. And then he tells the, the mothers, you know, if you if the kids are hungry, don't be embarrassed. You, you, you breastfeed them or feed them. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said this every time. But when he said it the first time, of course, it, was a, it made a big headlines on the paper. Pope says you can breastfeed your children in, in the church. Right. Now everybody's taking it for granted. It, it was really one of those joyful occasions. Yeah. Jerry, I imagine this was maybe kind of a nostalgic moment for you since both of your kids were also baptized by the Pope back when he was the Archbishop of Buenos Aires. Did this bring back memories? Oh, yes, because uh, I remember when 2005 and 2007, the my first my son, then my daughter were baptized by him in the Jesuit church, St. Ignatius in Buenos Aires, which is the oldest church in the city and the first Jesuit church in the city. Uh, when I watched him preach at, in the Sistine Chapel, it reminded me of how he he preached in uh, at the baptism. He doesn't preach for long, less than three minutes, but he says something that everybody in the church can understand. In the Sistine Chapel, he said, you know, th this is their Christian identity. And he says, the parents, your task and godparents is to help preserve and protect their Christian identity. And I remember when he, he baptized our children, he said something similar to us. But the, the real thing is you, you feel he's very close to you. I mean, he, he's always said, you know, the, the style of God is being close and uh, uh, reaching out and tenderness. And this is exactly how he is in these occasions. And I remember how he met every single person that was at the baptism ceremony when we had it in Buenos Aires. Mm -hmm. And he met all of them here. Yeah, and then he gave a little gift. Each of the children, they have a gift given specially by him with the date and his uh, initials on the back of it. So he says, and he said then on Sunday, he said, you know, remember the date of your baptism. That's important. And, uh, you know, I wonder our, our listeners, how many of them will remember when they were baptized, the date. I definitely don't know mine. <laughs> uh, he says, you, you go back home and check. Mm-hmm. Because it is, he, I think he said before that it's kind of like your birthday in a way. It is customary for the Pope to meet with ambassadors accredited to the Holy See in January. It's a meeting in which the Pope outlines his geopolitical priorities for the new year. In nome della protezione della diversità si finisce per cancellare il senso di ogni identità con il rischio di far tacere le posizioni che difendono un'idea rispettosa ed equilibrata. All right, Jerry. So the Pope was able to put on his sort of parish priest hat this weekend, like we talked about, but he also put on his world leader hat. On Monday, the Pope addressed the ambassadors of the 183 countries that have diplomatic relations with the Holy See, and he gave a really wide-ranging talk to them that covered the pandemic. He talked about cancel culture. He talked about migration, climate change, the international arms trade. So a lot of big, big topics here. But Jerry, before we get into the speech, I wanted to ask you about some basics. The first one being, why do we say that these countries have diplomatic relations with the Holy See and not the Vatican? Maybe differentiating between those terms for our listeners. It's the broader recognized institution of the church, because it's it's broader than, I mean, for example, the embassies, the Vatican Nancy tours in different countries, they're part of the Holy See. They're linked to it. And it, it goes beyond the physical, as it were, the physical nature of the of the Vatican City State. And it, it represents the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. the, the, this is the whole point. And uh, they they are recognized uh, in the United Nations as 
permanent observers. That's right. They, they, in most situations, they cannot vote, but uh, they, they have this special status. And this is a very influential role because, I mean, if you think that uh, Xi Jinping in China, he's the leader of 1.4 billion people. Uh, the, the Pope is leader of quite as many people. In different countries, not just in one country. Right. So almost all of the countries in the world have diplomatic relations with the Holy See. There's only a few, like you mentioned, that don't. The, there are eight which don't yet have diplomatic relationship with the Holy See. Yeah, the, the, the three big ones that most people would know are China, the People's Republic of China, Afghanistan, of course, from recent times, and uh, Saudi Arabia. Right. Also, North Korea, obviously, and then some smaller countries, Bhutan, the Maldives, Oman, and Tuvalu. Yep. So b basically, you have the 183 which have diplomatic relations, but you also have other institutions like the European Union, and that's representing 27 countries. Right. And we should say that in terms of the U.S.'s representation at this meeting. The chargé d'affaires of the U.S.'s embassy to the Holy See, Patrick Connell, was representing the U.S. because the president's pick for uh, the new Holy See ambassador has not been approved by Congress yet. But that'll be Joe Donnelly, who uh, was a, he's a senator, former senator from Indiana. Yes, and it's it's very it's it's a big moment for the ambassadors because it's the one time in the year that they're certain to meet the Pope. Uh, because they don't get that many opportunities unless the head of state comes or a big uh, leading minister comes. But normally they don't get the opportunity. They get the opportunity when they arrive and they present their credentials to the Pope. And then when they leave and they say goodbye to the Pope. But in between, the one time they are certain of meeting the Pope is on this occasion at the beginning of the new year when the Pope addresses the diplomatic corps. And uh, they are all very attentive to this speech. Right, because it lays out the the things that they'll be expected to kind of prioritize or work together with the Pope on, right? Yes, but the Pope is often sending messages that they have to take back to their governments. So the Pope gives this talk to the ambassadors to the Holy See around this time every year. And it's really his chance to talk about some of his international priorities and some of the most pressing concerns that he has about the world. And one thing that came up in a few different ways in this talk was his concern about ideology, about polarization. And it came up when he was talking about the pandemic. He denounced people who refused to get vaccinated for ideological reasons. But he also, and this kind of surprised me, talked about cancel culture, which I didn't really expect to be one of his most pressing concerns for the world. Can you just uh, recap for our listeners what the Pope had to say about cancel culture in this talk to ambassadors? He spoke about what he called ideological colonization. In other words, trying to, in the past, you colonized a country in, by sending in your armed forces, by imposing your rule, by imposing your uh, way of life on the country. So, and we, saw, we saw this in many parts of the world. Uh, now we see it again with globalization. Can you give an example of what he means here? Well, yes. And what he's saying is, We've got a lot of diversity in the world. We've got different cultures. We've got different ways, styles of life, etc. And he says that the wrong path, and this is what he's going at, is to impose one culture, one way of thinking. He spoke about one-track thinking. 
one way of thinking, one way of doing things, one way of writing things, one way of, he didn't use writing, but uh, in, in other words, to kind of create a uniform culture that eliminates the diversity, that really uh, throws in the dustbin the traditions of people. I'll give you some examples from Europe, first of all. Uh, there were, before Christmas, we had two things in the European Parliament and the European Commission. I mean, the European Commission is the, the kind of the cabinet that oversees the 27 countries of the European Union. They sent out before Christmas and said, well, you shouldn't be saying a kind of a directive. You shouldn't be saying happy Christmas. You should be saying happy holiday because not everybody in this in these 27 countries are Christian. So out of respect for the others who are not Christian, you should say happy holiday. And then they, they came up with another thing, which was, uh, you know, when you're addressing people, you don't say ladies and gentlemen, you say my dear colleagues or something in the speeches. So you're trying to level out and remove the differences. And Francis is saying that this is, this is doing harm to the cultures, the civilization, the traditions of people. We can get unity by respecting differences, by trying to understand the different ways of thinking, not by imposing one thing, one way of thinking. Right. So the connection here with cancel culture that the Pope sees is it's not so much this thinking that we often have of cancel culture as like calling out one person, one public figure when they slip up in some way or make a mistake or do something offensive. He says that this ideological colonization, this kind of, you know, turning things into a monoculture and not allowing room for a diversity of opinions is, he says, now taking the form of the cancel culture that invades many circles and public institution. Under the guise of defending diversity, it ends up canceling all sense of identity with the risk of silencing positions that defend a respectful and balanced understanding of various sensibilities. So basically, he's he sees this as kind of a, a canceling diversity, canceling you know anyone's opinion who falls outside of kind of the norms that you can say, you know, a certain group wants to be the the global norm. And uh, and he's really, on the political kind of world politics side, he's really concerned about this making cooperation between nations more difficult. For example, you know, he thinks that the United Nations is getting in the way of the work that it should be focusing on because, you know, it, it has certain kind of litmus tests for countries that are getting aid from it, right? We saw, for example, in 2020, there was a, a UN funding for uh, hunger that ended up getting withdrawn because they couldn't reach an agreement on what they should say about abortion. And so we saw that get in the way of actually helping needy people. Yes, there are many examples. And, and we see it taking different shapes in different countries. If you think in China today, for example, that they have removed crosses. Or indeed, for example, the cancelling the memory of what happened in Tiananmen Square. So Francis is saying, look, we have to use a, a code of interpretation. Reading history, yesterday's history of 100, 200 years back, but not trying to judge it by today's standards. And this is what is often happening. He's also said this in terms of the abuse questions. He's also said it in terms of Confederate statues. He's He thinks that the ugly parts of our past are things that we need to keep out in the public so that we can, you know, understand that this is part of our story. Yes, he, he, he really is against rewriting of history and trying to make history what you want it today when 
things happened in a different way in a different context yesterday it, it's a very big discussion and that it's very interesting that he he chose a substantial part of the talk to zone in on this whole question yeah i, I want to ask you you know so obviously there's a whole lot here the pope talks about ideological colonization in terms of gender in terms of like a sort of global monoculture he's specifically bringing it up to these ambassadors because he thinks that it gets in the way of working together or in in uh having the UN be uh as effective as he thinks it should be but you know when we hear the pope talk about ideology and about political polarization, which he's really done since the beginning of his pontificate. I remember he talked about uh, polarization to the U.S. Congress in 2015 when he came here. But I think that a critic of the Pope would look at this and say that the Pope only uses this word ideology when he's talking about people who he disagrees with, right? These UN bodies that are withholding funding over abortion or anti-vaxxers or even the EWTN shows that attack him, right? He said that those were ideologically driven. And I wonder, I mean, how would you respond to that? For Pope Francis, is ideology just shorthand for people he disagrees with? Absolutely not. For example, he's reflecting the uh, the position of many countries and governments when they challenge the international organizations and say, you are putting conditions on us. You want us to be like, say, like the United States or like Europe. You want us in, in Africa or in parts of Asia to be like this. It's the attempt to eliminate differences, to remove the rich diversity which humanity produced over, over the centuries, to remove this diversity and try now to level everything uh, it's it's to change, it's to damage the 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 diversity that is part of human nature and hard part of the global community. Yeah, it seems like the issue that he sees is that ideology means that you're making decisions based on an abstraction, right? You're making your decision based on some idea that you have instead of looking at the concrete reality, the reality of your country's history, or even just the reality of maybe the best way to handle a situation. He has this quote in his talk to the ambassadors where he says, every ideological statement severs the bond of human reason with the objective reality of things. And then he's talking about the pandemic here. So he says the pandemic urges us to adopt a sort of reality therapy that makes us confront the problem head on and adopt suitable remedies to resolve it. So yeah, and he's talking about, you know, you're making decisions based on uh, these this fake news that circulates about vaccines, for example. But it seems like what he really wants is you know, for people to take this sort of very traditional Ignatian way of making decisions, which is looking at the reality in front of you and being in touch with that and uh, not letting your sort of preconceived notions uh, inform what you decide to do. anche rilevare che i migranti stessi sono spesso trasformati in arma di ricatto politico 
So the Pope's main concern about ideology here in terms of talking to the ambassadors was that it really causes a, a breakdown in multilateralism and countries working together in groups of two or more. And he really stressed the importance of working together in the other areas that he talked about in this talk as well. One of those big areas was migration. He said that countries need to learn not to see migrants as a problem for others to deal with, but really as a responsibility that they each have and that they need to work together on. And he also drew a connection between the migrant crisis and the ongoing conflicts in various countries that he said are fueled by the arms trade. And this is something that the Pope's been talking about a lot is the arms trade. What did the Pope have to say about this? Well, you have to see the context he put it in. He said the international community must address the urgent need to find solutions to endless conflicts that at times appear as true proxy wars. And he, he cited the example of Syria, Yemen. Then he went on to speak about the Israel-Palestinian conflict, which has gone on for 70 years. He spoke about the Libya, Sudan, South Sudan, Sahel, Ethiopia, Ukraine, uh, the Caucasus, Myanmar. He says all these conflicts, they continue. Some of them have gone on for ages, decades. And he said, how can they continue? Because they're being fed with arms. And it, it's he has constantly returned to this. The, the arms trade that's making money for some people. And there's great uh, investment in the arms trade. And there's great profits. Yeah, it's been increasing. We saw a 1.9% year-over-year increase in arms trade, and the U.S. and China are buying more arms than ever. And so is Israel, which uh, saw a even more disproportionate increase from those. He's calling for really a break, a stop on the arms trade. Right, a divestment. Yeah, and of course, uh, will you get that? Will you get that in the United States? Will you get it in China? Will you get it in Russia? You won't. But he, he, he nevertheless, in, in a sense, like uh, John the Baptist in the desert, kind of uh, crying out, he is calling out and to try to raise people's consciousness. And of course, on the other side, Colin, we know that he's talked about the pandemic too. We know there's been a, a spike, especially in the United States, on the sale of weapons during on guns during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. There has. And the Pope also specifically called out the U.S. in this portion of the talk talking about the migration problems. He says that there's a crisis at the U.S. southern border and talked about how many asylum seekers are coming to the U.S. through Mexico right now from Haiti because of the crises in that country, the political crises and the national disasters that they haven't recovered from yet. I thought there were two things that were quite interesting. First of all, he spoke about the need for an international taking control, taking responsibility for the these new autonomous weapons the artificial intelligence weapons. These are, nobody has got regulations, anything about these. But he came out strongly against nuclear arms in a conference here in the Vatican. Right. The Pope has said that, that even possessing and producing nuclear arms is immoral, that it shouldn't be done. Jerry, another area in which the Pope really stressed the importance of working together multilaterally was in overcoming the pandemic. He kind of talked about coronavirus on three levels. And I was wondering if you could tell us about those. Yes, he spoke about the personal level, first of all. He said, we've got to work together. But he says it, it requires a commitment at the personal level. And he said, here, there is an obligation for healthcare. You have an obligation. Obligation is the word he used. You have an obligation to 
care for your own health. And you have an obligation also to care for the health of others. And, and this and he, in this point, he comes out against what you mentioned earlier, about the, this ideology that is driving no vaxxers, people who are ill-informed or fed misinformation. And he says the vaccines are the one reasonable solution. He said they're not a miracle cure. They're not a magic cure. But they're the one reasonable solution to dealing with a pandemic which is paralyzing the world. And then at the national level, he's saying that the governments have a responsibility to explain, to take action, to protect his people. So to national, he's supporting a kind of a national campaign of vaccinations. And he's saying that they, have, they must explain clearly and try and involve the citizens so that they understand the importance of this. And then the third thing the Pope said was the international level that the international community has to try to work so that all countries, he said, uh, he, he lamented the fact that so many parts of the world have few vaccines. And Francis' point is, nobody is safe until all are safe. Right. So he really advocates for vaccine sharing, for uh, opening up the patents so that there aren't these intellectual property uh, restrictions on producing vaccines. He says this needs to be shared with everybody because for as long as there are a few people sick, it's a risk to everyone. It's exactly this this whole concept of working together as a human family. And, uh, you know, you're not saved alone. You, you We're saved as, as, as a family or we're not saved. And we see this in the spread of the pandemic so so clearly, that the failure to have everybody playing their part to save themselves, first of all, but also to save others. And he uh, reduced the, the gospel, love God and love your neighbor, to this, basically, that this is loving the neighbor. Yeah, and I kind of like what what this shows us. You know, we 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 see the Pope makes this pretty basic at its core message about loving your neighbors, loving one another, which I think, in a sense, the exact same message that he was delivering at the baptisms. You know, this is your identity as a Christian. This is the first thing that we're asked to do is to love one another. So, Jerry, thanks for taking some time to talk with me about both of these stories this week. I appreciate it. Thank you, Colin. And for our listeners, next week we'll be giving you a special deep dive episode on the beatification of Rutilio Grande, the uh, Salvadoran Jesuit priest who Pope Francis has cleared the way for his beatification. So we'll be hearing all about him next week. Inside the Vatican is a production of American Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from Ricardo Da Silva, Kara Hamlin, and Vivian Richard at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And if you want to support our work here on Inside the Vatican, the best way to do that is by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For American Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? 
And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.